All right, let's uh, turn to Ephesians and chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And um, we are going through a series of sermons entitled Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And notice the theme there is one of celebration. It is one of excitement because anybody who suddenly bounces upon or pounces upon great riches will be full of excitement, full of celebration. And what we've been looking at for a number of weeks now is this one sentence double paragraph that we have in verse 3 all the way to verse 14. And what we have seen there is, first of all, the role of the Father in our salvation, which ends with the phrase, in praise of God. And that is clearly there uh, from verse 3 down to about verse 6. And then from verse 7, we have the role of the Son in our salvation. Again, it is ending with the phrase, more or less, in praise of him, which is in verse 12. And that's really where we ended last time. You'll notice that a lot more space is given to the role of the son, and that's because of the fact that he was the redeemer. He is the one who came on earth and the, our entire salvation is achieved through him. We also then are beginning today with a short three-part series where we are seeing the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. And that's really simply verse 13 and verse 14. The Apostle Paul says just a little, but what he says is enough to fill us with excitement for what God has done for us through the Spirit and consequently filling us with excitement concerning the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our salvation. So let's just read verse 13 and verse 14 in this text. The Bible says there, verse 13 and 14, In him, referring to Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is again in Jesus Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I want you to notice uh, the way that I've entitled our sermon today is that it is part one. Let's see if they will throw it on the screen there. Yes, it is part one. So I have sealed with the Holy Spirit part one, and the Lord willing, the next Sunday I'm back in the pulpit. It is sealed with the Holy Spirit, part two. And so today we're really looking at verse 13, 
and then the Lord willing next time verse 14 and then verse 14 will have two parts the last being to the praise of his glory today we're not really going to look in detail at the sealing of the Holy Spirit what we are really looking at is how we come to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit how that step happens and you can't miss it from the way the Apostle Paul phrases verse 13 he says there in him you also let's keep the next little section okay in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that's really what he's saying that in Christ you also were sealed with the Holy Spirit so the point there is that it is in Christ however this is the point now how how have you ended up being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and it is in answering the how question that you now have this phrase that is in between so let's quickly look at it again when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him three things there first of all you heard the word of truth number two is a further clarification of what that word of truth is it is the gospel of your salvation and then you responded to it and what was your response you believed in him when those two things happened clarified with a, a third aspect the Holy Spirit sealed you for the final day of redemption for glory for heaven and that's what Paul is rejoicing in at this point. That our salvation is eternal the moment we accept. Because the whole idea about sealing has to do with guarantee. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ died. And uh, he was uh, uh, to be put into a, a tomb. And how the Jewish leaders quickly went to Pilate and said to him, you know, these guys who are his followers, they are always up to mischief. Well, it wasn't true, but that was the accusation. And most likely what they will do is that they will come and steal his body and then claim that he has risen from the dead. And therefore, the last lie will be worse than the first. And so what um, uh, Pilate did was basically to send a, a troop of soldiers to, who, who guard the palace to go and uh, protect that place. 
But more than that, he also put a seal on the tomb. A seal. And that was to guarantee that nobody takes that body away. Well, that's the language that we'll be looking at next time because verse 14 says, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So anyone who reads this should be interested to know how he can ensure that his eternity is guaranteed in glory. Anybody. And the Apostle Paul tells us how. Well, first of all, it is that you heard the word of truth. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Now, the first emphasis I want to put there is on hearing. In other words, this is what causes the Christian church to be a missionary uh, movement, making sure that the truth is spreading, making sure that the truth is being heard everywhere. It is because it is the only way in which men and women can end up in heaven. There is nothing like being born a Christian. There's nothing like that. As someone has said, God does not have grandchildren. If your parents are Christian, it does not mean you are a Christian. You also must first of all hear the good news and as we shall go on to read in a few moments, you must also believe in that good news yourself. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and chapter 10 makes this abundantly clear. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 downwards. After having said in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he immediately asks a number of questions. Listen to this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that's the challenge that we all have. It is to ensure that we are getting this message out. He goes on to say in verse 15, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So there must be a deliberate effort on the part of the church to set apart preachers and send them out to go and proclaim the gospel. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel and so on. But finally, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you ever read the book of Acts, you will notice that that's what keeps happening right through that entire book. Starting with chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, 
and about 3,000 individuals repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and are added to the church. And from that point onwards, that's precisely what keeps on happening. The apostles go somewhere, they preach, people get converted, they move on to another place, they preach, people get converted, and so on. All the way to the end of the book. And it is in the places they are preaching and people are repenting and believing that churches are being established. And by the time we are coming to literally the end of the Bible, churches are everywhere. What we call the Middle East, Asia, and the beginning sections of Europe. It is the hearing of this message that makes all the difference and all that we might all be convinced about this god still calls preachers the lord jesus christ once said the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few and he says what pray to the lord of the harvest that he might send forth laborers into the harvest field. And basically, he's using picture language there to refer to God sending preachers who will continue to declare the word of truth. And then, of course, the rest of us add to that weight by our ongoing sharing of the gospel one-on-one -on -one and in various ways. That way, the whole church as a body is putting the word of truth before the world. And consequently, men and women are coming to salvation. I hope you're one of those that every time we have a baptismal service, I know it didn't happen last time because of COVID restrictions, on time that is, but normally Pastor um, Sivale here shares just a little bit, a snippet of the testimony of those who have come to faith. I hope you're one of those who listens hard to the last straw that broke the camel's back. And sometimes it's the preaching from the pulpit. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's family who speak the word of truth. And the person turns and is converted. I hope you realize that. That it is this hearing of the word of truth. Hearing of the word of truth. Let me put it this way. There is no salvation without hearing of the word of truth. And that's the reason why we ought to send preachers. That's the reason why we ourselves need to share the gospel deliberately. In Second um, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul in chapter 4 puts it negatively before putting it positively. And I deliberately want us to quickly peep there. Um, 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. I begin from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, what ministry is it? Again, of spreading the glad tidings, preaching the word of truth. He says, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper with God's word. What does he mean by that? He's saying, look, the temptation to, as it were, gather a crowd into what we call the church to use underhanded methods. That temptation is always there, but we refuse to yield to it. We want to avoid that. To, we, we can always do it. You know, we can easily fill a church building by putting into the pulpit a motivational speaker. We can do it. Eh? Someone who said to you that um, 2022 is going to be a year of victory. Say amen, and you all say amen. I know it's becoming too unpopular because last time they said that about 2020, COVID came, and they stopped saying that. But one can end up with all those kinds of tricks that make people feel nice instead of telling them to repent of their sin as the apostle uh, Peter did on the day of Pentecost and others did. Instead of telling them that, it's just keep giving them the, the honey, the sweetness of God's promises and fill up the place. He says, no. What did he do instead? Halfway through verse 2. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience, to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, to enable individuals to realize their true state before God, their state in sin, in rebellion, in wickedness, in evil, and to point them to the good news that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. Well, friends, that's really our task today. It's not the miracles that the apostles were doing that brought people to Christ. Not even the tricks of today's tricksters will bring people to Christ. It is the open declaration of the truth. It's not baptism. It's not church membership. It is not the eating of the Lord's Supper, or as some churches would call it, the Mass, and so forth. It's not that. It is hearing the word of truth. What is this word of truth? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a further definition. He says there, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, and then he calls it the gospel of your salvation. In Colossians chapter 1, 
very quickly, and verse 5, he uses the same approach in calling the gospel, rather the word of truth, as the gospel. Let me begin with verse 3. We always, Colossians 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, and listen to this, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The word of truth, uh, the gospel. So it's fairly evident that that's what Paul has in mind even in our text here. It is not simply facts about Bible teaching. It is facts about Bible teaching that is Christ-centered. That is, in fact, the word gospel is good news of redemption. That's what it is. So you are not yet sharing the word of truth for salvation until you bring in not just the bad news that men and women are sinners, but the good news as well that God has sent his only son to die on that cruel cross, to bear our punishment in our place, that he has taken on him the liability of our sin, and therefore God has punished him in our stead. And yet in dying, he has actually defeated death and is now alive evermore, calling us to himself in genuine repentance and genuine faith. And that when we do, he not only cancels our sins in heaven, in the records of heaven, but he also breaks the power of sin that is upon our hearts and upon our lives. He transforms us from the inside out. He does that in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you notice here, the Apostle Paul doesn't just say the gospel. He says the gospel of your salvation. Your salvation. And let's face it, most of us have been Christians so long that the word salvation has lost the sense of deliverance or rescue. It's lost that sense. We've, we've over-spiritualized it that we forget that it actually salvation is an ordinary English word that the Christian church has borrowed because it is appropriate to uh, describe the spiritual reality. But it's borrowed from an ordinary, ordinary situation. If you fell into a river and you could not swim, and just after swallowing about two cups of water and beginning to say your final prayers, somebody jumps into the water who knows how to swim 
and comes behind you and pulls you out of the water, he has saved you from drowning. That's what that word simply means. It means being rescued, being delivered from certain death and destruction. And when Paul speaks about the gospel of your salvation, he's speaking about this good news that speaks about how you were delivered, rescued in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another picture that I can use that perhaps is closer to what we're dealing with here because we are being rescued not only from death, but also rescued from the clutches of the evil one, the clutches of Satan, the chains that he, make, he puts us in as we serve him like a hard taskmaster until we end up being in hell. If you can imagine a situation where you, you have been hijacked and you have been put into a, a camp where when you peep outside your tent, guys there are armed to the back teeth, as they say, with all kinds of guns and grenades and um, all kinds of weapons. And you don't have any. And for a number of weeks, maybe even months, they've been making you toil hard in enslavement. And then, one day, as you are eating your shima, you find that within the shima there's a piece of paper. And that piece of paper says that tonight, at exactly midnight, someone will arrive and you jump onto their vehicle and they will whisk you out of this camp. Now that's good news. There's nothing you can do for yourself. Other people have done all the planning and they've sent the message over to you. And exactly at midnight, you hear, there's a phrase they use in Uganda called boda boda. Some of you have traveled to the same uh, part of the country, where the continent will know. It's Hondas or motorbikes. But there are so many that they are the major form of transport out there. So you just hear a boda boda arriving. It's kids outside your tent. And the words, quickly, jump on ahead. And that's all you do. You hear the good news of your salvation, of your rescue. You jump out of your tent onto this border border, hold the person who is uh, the driver, and that's it. That's it. He does the rest to get you to safety. That's the picture that is here. It's been applied to the religious world. But that's the picture. You heard the word of truth. The good news of your rescue. And what did you do? And that's what made the difference. You believed. You believed. 
And it was the believing that caused you to abandon whatever seat you were in and as it were, hang on to whoever was driving for dear life's sake. And that's the way in which we get saved. Back to our text. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your deliverance, there it is, I'm giving you the actual ordinary words, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We speak about justification by faith. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith alone. What is that faith? What is this believing? It essentially has two sections to it. The first is that of having faith in the facts. Having faith in the facts of God's message to you. Remember the picture I used of that shima, and as you are eating, you find a piece of paper inside, and you read it, and it is saying to you, tonight at midnight, Get ready. Someone will come and they will rescue you. There's one way to respond to that. And it is to say, just laugh it off. <laughs> you know, who can rescue me from here? Who? Ah, come on, guys. And then continue eating your shima. That's one way. Another way is to believe it. It is to say, this is what I have been hoping for. That out there, somewhere, there will be someone with just the right power to rescue me out of this dominion before I perish forever. This is what I've been waiting for. And I will do what it says. That's the first side of believing. It is having faith in the facts. But the second is that of entrusting myself to the rescuer. Entrusting myself to the rescuer. That's an important second part of this believing. The moment you now hear that motorbike, border border, screeching outside your tent door, and you hear the words, quickly jump onto the bike, that's where the rubber hits the road. It is where all the difference lies. Are you going to take that decisive step of letting go of whatever it is you are sitting on and leaving that room and, and jumping onto that motorbike and going off? And all you've done is embraced the rescuer. Oh, the favorite picture that we normally used to share 
uh, when, when Findeco was the biggest or tallest building, I don't know whether it still is, with the amount of tall buildings going on around these days. But at one time it was the tallest building, and we used to often say that if there was a fire in that building, and you made your way to the top, and then somebody threw a rope from the next building, the Indeco building, onto that Findeco building, and then he walks all the way to the Findeco building on top, on a rope, and then he says to you, I've come to rescue you. You look down, human beings are looking like ants down there. And he says to you, jump on my back so that I take you. Of course, yes, you're not down, you hesitate. And then the first thing he does is to take somebody else. He walks all the way, drops him, and comes back. Your faith has gone up a little now. But maybe you are 100 kg, the guy he took was 50. So again you start thinking, mm -mm, yeah, it may be a weight issue. He now carries somebody who is 120 kg across. Comes back. Some extra faith has gone up. In other words, finally, you have to make that decision to entrust yourself to him. To simply jump on his back, hold him around the neck, and start saying prayers. Until you reach the other side. That's faith. That's faith. Now, too many people have the faith of simply somehow saying, yeah, I, I believe the Bible. I believe everything it teaches. Yeah, 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 I, I do. I mean, look at this world. Surely, somebody must have created it. Eh? There's no way that the, the complexity of uh, the, the life that we see here in, in fish, in birds, in human beings, and so on, can be a result of a bang. No, no. In the beginning, God created. I, I really believe what the Bible says. But they haven't taken that decisive step of saying, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. I'm naked. I come to you for dress. To you for dress. I'm filthy. I'm coming to you for cleansing. You alone. Wash me, Savior, now or I die. Very few take that decisive step. They are willing to have a general form of religion, but are not willing to finally give up everything and cling unto Christ. Have you done that? Have you believed in him? Believed in him. I've used an illustration before, and it's a perfect illustration for this, of that 
comic strip that I saw in the early 1980s. Three little boxes of cartoons. On the first one, a guy is falling down the hill. Well, actually, down a cliff. In the second one, he's hanging on to an outcrop from the cliff. And there are two bubbles there. The first bubble is his own words, and he is shouting, is there anybody up there who can rescue me? And the second bubble is somebody up there, and he is saying, I am here. Let go of that branch, and I will rescue you. And then there is the third and last picture, drawing of the same guy, this time only one bubble. And in that bubble he is asking, is there anyone else up there who can rescue me? And that's how many of us are. We are willing to be saved as long as we don't let go of what we are trusting in. Hmm? We want our religious upbringing, our um, church going, our giving to church, our baptism, our uh, singing in the choir, our sharing the word of God with other people, our eating of the Lord's Supper, and then in that mix, we also throw in Jesus and his death. He won't accept. We should be able to say, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. That's the believing that saves. It is hanging on to that guy on the border border and nothing else. Hanging on to the tight rope walker and nothing else. Have you done that? Have you done that? It is only when you do so that God responds and seals you with his spirit. That's when this verse comes to an end. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit which is what we will come and look at next time. But let's just realize here that this ceiling, therefore, is, is what God does at the point we get saved. It is not at a future meeting when perhaps some kind of man of God lays his hands on you and now you start receiving the Spirit. It is the day you repent, the day you believe, the Spirit of God comes to live inside you, and you are sealed in that way for the day of redemption. It is not even some future meeting where, you know, you are feeling empty, and you begin sort of praying and praying and praying, and then somehow God now seals you with his Spirit, a kind of after-conversion experience. No, it is at conversion itself.
In him also, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. That's why when people are asking me when I'm sharing the gospel with them and they say, how will I know that God has received me? How will I know he has forgiven me? How will I know that he's made me a Christian? My answer is always, don't worry. You will know. When the Holy Spirit comes to seal your heart for heaven, you will know something has happened to me. Oh, may I plead with you to do just that. Seek Christ and experience this glorious salvation and consequently celebrate with us the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amen.